so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. And it comes to us from uh, the Uh, not cool, Lindsay. Not cool. That might be the opening if we don't step up our fun game. There is no fun. There's a no fun zone. Mm-mm. No fun zone today, Lindsay. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me on this rainy and sleepy podcast recording day is Brent Leatherwood. And icy. Well, it's not icy here in Nashville, though. No, but it's the ice is coming, apparently. To Nashville? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess we better record this fast and get and home. And Puxatani Phil saw his shadow, uh. which means six more weeks of this sort of horrendous, soul-sucking weather. Yeah, so I'm surprised you're not uh, in dressed in sackcloth and ashes this morning. Yeah, but I did come in wearing three layers of clothing. Yes, you did. Three, <laughs> yes. Well, you're just odd. Listeners should know that you keep your office at about 90 degrees, <laughs> and it is stifling in there. Mm. So I'm glad you don't have control of this uh, thermometer in here. Is that what it's called, a thermometer? I don't think so. I think it's called thermostat. thermostat. That's right. Thermostat. <laughs> I knew something was off. <laughs> Before I mess anything else up, let's go ahead and uh, talk about what's been happening lately. And we're going to start with what the ERLC has been featuring this week. Because the Olympics are uh, kicking off tomorrow, which is Friday, we're recording this on a Thursday, we had a piece, an important piece by David Prince titled, How the Chinese Communist Party Disappeared Tennis Star Peng Shui. So you may have heard about this in the news. There was a hashtag, I think the hashtag was, where is Peng Shui? She's a tennis star who took to social media, the Chinese version of Twitter, to talk about how she'd been sexually assaulted. Well, you can imagine in the midst of a surveillance state like China, who is ruled by this communist party, this was not okay. So that was taken down, but not before lots of people had seen this. And so the question is whether Peng Shui is okay or not. And people didn't hear from her or see her for a while. And then pictures surfaced of her that made it seem like she was okay. But you don't know if you can trust that in China. And so many people have been wondering if she is truly okay. And David Prince highlights a hero in this story because the bottom line for many people is about the dollar. They have dollar signs or whatever the currency is 
in their eyes, they are really not pushing to find out the truth behind Peng Shui's well-being. But the WTA chairman, that's the Women's Tennis Association, Steve Simon, has been voicing concerns and has actually suspended events in China until the truth is uncovered. And that really equates to about a billion-dollar loss in revenue for him. So Prince calls us as Christians to not be quiet about this, to not look the other way, to not put finances over people's well-being. This is a story that probably will continue to circulate in the news, especially during the events in China. But it just highlights how the Chinese Communist Party is not a regime that any of us would want to live under. Well, and Prince points out in his piece, right, that Mr. Simon is following his words with action. So as you pointed out, that billion-dollar loss, that that certainly hurts. Uh, but we would suggest this is what being a responsible corporate or uh, global entity, like, actually should do. And as a matter of fact, the, w, the way that the WTA is responding about this horrific incident is actually the way a lot of corporate giants out there should respond to, I don't know, something like the Olympics being held in China in the midst of an ongoing genocide that is occurring there against the Uyghur people at the hands of the the Chinese Communist Party. And so the WTA uh, under Simon's leadership is really charting a path forward for how to say, hey, enough is enough when it comes to human rights abuses. And unfortunately, uh, he seems to be a, a lone voice in too many of these sorts of, of instances. And so we need to affirm uh, what he has done here by staking out this ground. And we need to call upon other entities, other uh, international players, governments, et cetera, to do the same. Yeah, I am thankful for Simon's consistency and his bravery in this because it's these organizations and these top leaders who can really uh, make a dent in the midst of the situation and send a very clear message to bring about change because of all the financial input, the power that is there. So mm. we, yeah, we do, we should, as Christians, should be praying that God would move the hearts of, of people who can really make a difference to care about this situation and really make China think twice about committing these human rights abuses. That's right. And I like, you know, just to tease out our, our Christian responsibility a little bit more, Dr. Prince does that at the at the end of uh, his piece here. And he says, it has been right to ask, where is Peng Shui? But we must also ask, where are we? Where are we when the opportunity comes to speak and act on behalf of the persecuted, suffering, and vulnerable? Oh, gosh. I mean, that is, man, that's, that need right there, that needs to land right in the middle of your Christian convictions and should compel you to speak up for those who are marginalized. Yes, and the Lord is going to give all of us uh, different platforms, and so may we be found faithful with those. Next up, it's kind of in the same vein as this. Jordan Wooten has a piece that's an explainer, and it's about Open Doors releasing their World Watch list of 2022 showing the top areas of Christian persecution. And this World Watch list ranks the 50 countries where Christians face the most extreme persecution. And to tell you about this, I really just wanted to read off some statistics for you. So they found in the midst of this list and in their research, over 360 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 5,898 Christians this past year were killed for their faith. 
5,110 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 6,175 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And 3,829 Christians were abducted. And so that, that really should hit us hard and not just be numbers to us, although I know it's easy for that to be the case. But these are brothers and sisters of ours who we're, we are going to spend eternity with, who really are living under some harsh and terrifying conditions. Additionally, this report revealed that one in seven Christians are persecuted worldwide, one in five Christians are persecuted in Africa, and two in five Christians are persecuted in Latin America. And then finally, Afghanistan actually topped North Korea to be in first place for where Christians are persecuted. So this should, number one, make us thankful for the religious freedom that we have in, here in America as believers, but it should encourage us and spur us on to use our freedom here to advocate for those who do not have freedom, our brothers and sisters in other countries. Absolutely. Uh, Open Doors is an amazing organization. Uh, the, the fact that they are able to keep track of and catalog all of these instances around the globe so that way we all can stay informed about it. And that team over there just does uh, amazing work across the globe. And uh, I'm really glad that Chelsea was able to have a conversation uh, with uh, David Curry on the Capital Conversations podcast, our, our sister podcast out of Washington, D.C. Uh, so so definitely be sure to check that out because it's a, it's a very informative conversation about these just very troubling trends uh, around the globe for Christians. And we'll link to that in the show notes. This also reminded me, as you were talking, in the midst of this stark, hard news, there's good news as well. So a while back, I did an interview with one of the developers of the YouVersion app, the Bible app. Uh, if you're familiar with it, you could just go type in Bible app in the App Store or YouVersion. And because of technology, the Bible is getting to countries where there are closed doors, where uh, missionaries cannot go, where Bibles are illegal, but people are able to get the Bible there on their smartphones, and they're able to read it. And so this YouVersion app is actually in many, many countries where people, believers, cannot have access. And so even when we think that the spread of Christianity is hindered, that the gospel is hindered, that the word is hindered. It's not. It cannot be chained. And the, the Lord is constantly using different means to get his word to people and to encourage them to build them up and to bring many to saving faith. And so that is just extremely encouraging to me and gives me confidence, increases my faith in our sovereign and good God. And then this last piece is, again, along the same lines. This is by our colleague, Chelsea Soblick. We have been talking about the tensions that are mounting between Russia and Ukraine and uh, possibly being on the brink of war with Russia, Russia teetering on the edge of invading Ukraine. And this piece is a call to pray for the people of Ukraine and Russia amid these mounting tensions, because while many of us may just see it as another news story, may view it as... Um, and rightly so, something that will affect the world order. Governments and leaders and countries need to evaluate how to respond to this. We don't want to miss the citizens on the ground who will truly be affected by a potential war and by this conflict. And Chelsea shares just a unique personal angle that she has to this. She actually was born in Romania and she was adopted as an infant and her family is built through adoption. She has a brother from Romania, 
four siblings from Russia and a cousin from Ukraine. So this hits home to her and it's deeply personal. And because of that, she calls us to be a people who are praying for Ukraine and Russia, praying for the Christians who are there, the missionaries, the safety of the citizens, the global leaders, and for someone like Vladimir Putin, that his heart would be changed and that he would withdraw from this conflict. And of course, we know that the hearts of kings are in our God's hands and he turns them like streams. And so we can pray with confidence. But first of all, rather than a pontificating people, we need to be a prayerful people. Mm, yeah, absolutely. As, as Christ followers, right, we need to resist the temptation that is certainly out there in our culture right now to view this through a political lens or a purely political lens and instead take a step back and realize that as you know various world powers are positioning themselves for you know potentially a russian invasion of ukraine there will be who knows how many innocent lives trapped in the middle of that sort of military action and those people need to come to mind first and foremost. And we absolutely, I mean, she's she's right to include that, that final piece. We absolutely need to be praying for President Putin's heart to turn from this. Now, you know, I've listened to a couple of other experts out there that are that are saying, oh, he is just posturing for this. He he's actually not going to carry through with it. Although there's a number of uh, military analysts out there who say he absolutely is positioning to do the the unimaginable here. But Either way, Lord, please intervene in this. Uh, Keep this area of Europe, which has, you know, over the ages seen so much warfare and combat, or just keep that from happening. Uh, That's that's certainly a prayer that I have voiced and that we all should. Amen, Brent. And I think that really sums up the tone and the call of our articles, this many of our articles this week that we are featuring, just a call to prayer. We need to be a people of prayer, and I'm guilty of being a person of opinions, <laughs> a person of, of answers, a person of scrolling, and I really need to be praying more often on, on my knees and my heart and just carrying my brothers and sisters, even though I don't know their names and faces, the Lord does. I need to be carrying them with me and praying for them continually. And that's what we would encourage you to do as well. We have many other pieces that will encourage you in that way. But for now, Brent, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Now, moving into our culture section this week, I'm sure we have a lot going on. So Brent, how about you fill us in on what's happening? Yes, Lindsay. Well, and there's been quite a bit going on uh, this week in culture, and so let's get right to it. Uh, Our first story comes to us from Reuters, and it's about the United States saying that the Islamic State leader has been killed in a raid in Syria. So from the story, the leader of the jihadist group Islamic State died in a U.S. Special Forces raid in northern Syria on Thursday when he detonated a bomb that killed him and family members. The Biden administration said, quote, thanks to all the skill and bravery of our armed forces, we have taken off the battlefield, the leader of ISIS. All Americans have returned safely from the operation, U.S. President Joe Biden said in a statement. The leader of ISIS had remained largely in the shadows since succeeding his predecessor, who led the group at the height of its self-declared caliphate when it controlled swaths of Syria and Iraq and ruled over millions of people. Since its defeat on the battlefield nearly three years ago, the group has been waging insurgent attacks in Iraq and Syria. And this is just a reminder to me. I mean, gosh, I don't know the last time that we talked about ISIS 
here on the podcast, but I mean, for a long time there, ISIS was certainly at the center of American foreign policy and our concerns about potential terrorist attacks uh, coming from that group. That's a good point, Brent. There was a time when we just were ISIS was constantly on our minds and in the news uh, because of the very real and imminent threat that we faced. So this is good news. It's very sad that his family and women and children were um, victims of this bomb that he detonated. I can't imagine doing that. Yeah, Um, that's right. We just, right before we started recording, that news came out is that our troops were surrounding the location where he was and, and he himself detonated a bomb that killed him and his family. I mean, that's... Ugh. Yeah, it's oh, you just cannot imagine. But this is this is definitely good news um, for the safety of the world. And I hope that kind of news continues. Yeah, that's right. It, you know, it, for listeners, you you know, ISIS again. We haven't thought about ISIS in in a while, but there was a time there where, where they were releasing you know particularly gruesome uh, videos, and they were terrorizing huge parts of the Middle East. And and so the fact that, A, we haven't had to talk about them, uh, but the fact that our military officials, national security officials are are still monitoring them, that certainly is, is a good thing. It just brings up to, this is just a side conversation, imagine how tough it is to be a world leader, a leader of a nation, president of the United States and make decisions like that mm-hmm. in the war room or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and you know, we all have our opinions about different politicians, but that's just a, a heavy job. It's no wonder that the presidency ages people. That's right. Like in dog years. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, you just, you have these, uh, well, I mean, in this case, you have life or death uh, decisions that you have yeah. to make. And, well, and and so, it's yeah. no wonder that old W is just like happy as a clam now. I just think of him now because you see him a lot. I watch the Today Show and his daughter's there, right. so you always hear from him. Yeah. I He's love so how happy. you respond to former President George W. Bush's old W. That, I, th- I feel like that's what he would want. Yeah. I, I mean, probably would appreciate Mr. President when you first see him. But yeah, maybe, maybe maybe after a while. I mean, especially with you. You're friendly. Yes. Yeah. So he, anyway, he, everyone just seems happier once they're out of the Oval Office <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. Well, sticking with news from the Biden administration, Axios is reporting that President Biden is sending thousands of troops to Eastern Europe. President Biden has formally approved the deployment of thousands of troops to shore up NATO defenses in Eastern Europe in the coming days. The Pentagon announced on Wednesday. Here's why it matters. It's the first U.S., first major U.S. troop movement directed by the commander-in-chief in response to Russia's massive military buildup on Ukraine's borders. President Biden has ruled out sending troops to Ukraine itself, which is not a NATO member, but has approved over $600 million of security assistance to Kyiv over the past year. The president has previously said troop deployments to Eastern Europe would only occur if Russia invaded Ukraine, but appeared to change his position as the situation continued to escalate. So this is uh, certainly a major development. It it is one that we actually talked about potentially happening last week uh, on the podcast. And and so now it it appears it's about 3,000 troops uh, that are being moved to bases in Poland, uh, Germany and and elsewhere in that part of Europe, and um, it's another step. And you know, we're just not sure ultimately where all of this leads. But I think it does 
show that the administration is taking this very seriously. Yes, and we will continue to follow the developments. Again, this just highlights, as we talked about earlier, the need to pray. Pray for de-escalation. Pray for leaders' hearts to be changed. Pray for the protection of the people. Okay, moving on to news from Capitol Hill and very serious news. Uh, Politico is reporting on the stroke diagnosis of U.S. Senator Ben Ray Lujan. Uh, That diagnosis shocked the Democratic caucus Tuesday, raising the possibility the party could lose their slim working majority for the near future. While the 49-year-old New Mexico Democrat is expected to make a full recovery, no one knew when he would return to the evenly divided Senate or what it means for their immediate agenda. Lujan's unexpected medical condition comes at a moment when Senate Democrats simply don't have any votes to spare to pass party priorities, including reviving their social spending bill and now confirming a U.S. Supreme Court justice. The latest news could leave Democrats reliant on Republican votes to move forward on nominees and other priorities. Carlos Sanchez, Lujan's chief of staff, said that the senator checked himself into a hospital Thursday afternoon in Santa Fe after experiencing dizziness and fatigue. The senator later learned he had suffered a stroke and had to undergo decompressive surgery. That is terrifying to me. He's, I'm I'm now in the same age range as him. I'm 40 and he's 49. That is terrifying. Goodness gracious. So we do hope that the senator gets well uh, very soon. And, you know, prayers for, for his recovery. And thankfully, it, it, it does seem like he's going to make it. But we, we've had, over the last few years, we've had several senators uh, suffer strokes, it seems. And and so, um, yeah, don't don't like to hear that. No. Well, and it's a high-stress job, so it probably is not uh, conducive to health a lot of times. So we're thankful for people who give their lives to public service. Okay, Lindsay, for this next story, uh, have you ever wondered how, you know, new medicines, vaccinations, medical treatments, uh, how they get their names? Yes, I do. And my husband and I looked it up one time, but I don't remember what the answer is. <laughs> well, I mean, does it ever strike you that some of these names just seem so completely oh, bizarre? Random. It's like, how is yes. that supposed to actually help with the marketing? Yes, one of my favorites is Latuda and every other middle school child's favorite uh, name of medicine. How do you come up with that name? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's news this week on the COVID vaccine front uh, in this direction. So this comes to us from uh, the dispatch. The Food and Drug Administration fully approved Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine for those 18 and older on Monday after concluding it meets the agency's rigorous standards for safety, effectiveness, and manufacturing quality. So that, that's great news. It's, it's now fully approved. But then there's this. The vaccine, which will now be marketed as Spike Vax has been available <laughs> under emergency youth authorization since December 2020. So I I lovingly refer to the Moderna vaccine, which is the the one that I have gotten, as the Dolly Parton vaccine, right? Uh, because Dolly Parton, who who is known and and actually does hold the title of Queen of Tennessee, uh, she actually provided some significant funding uh, for some of the research trials of the Moderna vaccine to take place at. Vanderbilt University here in Nashville. So I think it should be known as the Dolly Parton vaccine. And I actually think if it if it did, that would truly help with uh, vaccination rates. But they're calling it spike vax. Is that, is that helpful? <laughs> I, yeah, I am not sure. It kind of makes it sound cool. The one, I forgot about this one. We talked about it. Comir Natty, 
Comir Natty is Pfizer's vaccine. We it talked is, about though. this a while. No, yeah, it's I, called Comir Natty. Okay. That just sounds so, like, just weird. <laughs> well, for if I'm going to go get the Spike Vax vaccine, I feel like I need to be wearing like a leather jacket with like one of those biker chains and maybe sunglasses as I go get my Spike Vax. I feel like I'm going to play Spike Ball afterward. Have you ever played Spike, spike Ball? ball. Spike ball. No, I've not played no. spike ball, but yes, there is spike ball, which that makes sense to me because you're you're actually spiking the ball. That's right. Well, you're spiking the the virus. Yeah, take that. That's, yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah, we're spiking the virus. Okay, so now I'm thinking back to the volleyball scene in Top Gun. Oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> okay, oh, moving boy. on. Yes. Okay, uh, there's news from the SBC. Uh, Willie McLaurin has been named interim SBC Executive Committee President. And so this next story comes to us from the Associated Press. Tennessee Pastor Willie McLaurin has been named interim president and CEO of the Southern Baptist Convention's Executive Committee, becoming the first African-American to lead one of the denomination's ministry entities in its more than 175-year history. McCorn's appointment as one of the top administrators for the largest Protestant church body in the U.S. was announced Tuesday in Baptist Press, an official SBC News outlet. He will lead the day-to-day business of the committee, which acts on behalf of the convention when it is not holding its annual two-day national gathering in June. He said, quote, Our EC staff is committed to serving our convention well. My prayer is that we will continue to put a laser-sharp focus on cooperation and collaboration. It was McCorn's pastoral experience, the chairman of the trustee board that named McCorn, said that it made it clear to the EC officers that he should be their choice. The messengers and churches of all sizes throughout the SBC need to know that they are seen, heard, and appreciated, said Roland Slade, the chairman of the board. So this is good news. We appreciate Willie here at the at the URLC, and, and we are certainly Looking forward to working with Dr. McLaurin and uh, all the the folks at the SBCEC. It is great news. And I have only interacted with him a few times, but he just seems like a kind man, has a kind demeanor about him. And so that is definitely what we need right now in this interim period. And we are very thankful. Hope to see him, get to see him around our building a little bit more. I mean, he's here, but we just... Yeah. Don't cross well, paths. Actually, very often. of of all the members of the team up there, Willie is probably on the road the most because he is continually being asked to to preach, to speak at various events. And uh, let me tell you, if you have sat through a Willie McLaurin sermon, you will know it uh, because it, it's almost like he is getting ready to call down fire from heaven. Uh, it is a stem winder of a sermon. A stem winder, stem winder of a sermon. Go ahead and look that up while you're looking up all the other. Uh, what is, what's stuff a stem winder? You you come up with words that I just didn't even know existed. Well, this is why I'm really good at Wordle. And entertaining and rousing. Yeah, but Wordle uses words like <laughs> reads. Okay, and, we'll, we'll get to Wordle in a minute. Don't okay. don't don't steal my thunder. <laughs> stem stem winder and yes. entertaining and rousing speech. There you go. There you go. There you go. Well, welcome, welcome, Willie. Yes, we are. We are thankful for him and uh, all the good work that the team at the SBCEC is is now doing in this season. Okay, and our final story is about Tom Brady. He's calling it quits, Lindsay, and I know that that really saddens your 
uh, your football-loving heart. So Fox Sports has the story. The 44-year-old Brady is retiring from the NFL after playing 22 seasons and winning seven Super Bowl rings. He announced his decision Tuesday morning in an Instagram post. He wrote, this is difficult for me to write, but here it goes. I am not going to make that competitive commitment anymore, Brady wrote in a lengthy post on Instagram. I have loved my NFL career, and now it is time to focus on my time and energy and other things that require my attention. Brady has long stated his desire to spend more time with his wife, supermodel Giselle Bungeon, and three children, despite still playing at the top of his game. Quote, I have always believed the sport of football is an all-in proposition. If 100% competitive commitment isn't there, you won't succeed. And success is what I love so much about our game, Brady said. There is a physical, mental, and emotional challenge every single day that has allowed me to maximize my highest potential. And I have tried my very best these past 22 years. There are no shortcuts to success on the field or in life. Lindsay, what say you about this era-ending announcement? Well, I'm not depressed like Dean and Sarah is, the consummate Tom Brady fan. Listen, I'm just happy for him that he gets to eat cake and drink coffee and live a normal life. I was looking up his diet regimen because, really, it all comes down to food for me. Right. He eats, like, cucumbers and spinach shakes. It looks awful. It just looks terrible. I mean— he eats veg- mainly vegetables and things, but he can't have coffee. He can't have dairy. No nightshade vegetables. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, something about tomatoes and cucumbers and I don't know. Can't have corn. What What does he eat again? I mean. Vegetables, some fruits, whole grains, beans, lean proteins. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, he can just basically have fun and live life. That's true. And get a dad bod because those are in. <laughs> That's right. Well, the one thing that I thought was was really touching about his statement, he said his greatest achievement in life is his family, yeah, his wife, yes, and three kids. So that is precious. Uh, that I'm glad that he has that perspective, and uh, certainly we should applaud that. Yes, and that he gets to spend more time with them is great. Yeah. Um, anyway, because that's what's going to last. Not his football accomplishments, as impressive as they are but his legacy with his family. That's right. Well, and you uh, you mentioned Dean and Sarah, pastor of City Church down in Tallahassee, who is, it's actually probably not even arguable that he is like the number one Tom Brady fan. So this is- a, I, I think he is. And so this he- is a, This is kind of a dark week for, yeah. for Dean. But, He's sitting uh, in, his, um, in his Chick-fil-A cubby corner there in whatever booth it is that he stakes his climb to and drowning his sorrows in a milkshake. That's right. So Dean- Sorry, brother. We love you. Uh, you will recover. So that that caps it off. It was a very busy week, Lindsay, and that is your look at This Week in Culture. Well, thanks for that, Brent. And now it's time for the lunchroom where we tell you what we're talking about with each other. Brent, you're up first. And listen, this podcast has been a little dry. I mean, good news coverage. We've not been very fun. So let's... Let's bring a little bit of fun to the lunchroom today. What do well, you have? Well, speak for yourself. I, I feel like I've brought all kinds of fun. You, yeah, you've made my eyes glaze over several times. Thanks. <laughs> well, we mentioned Wordle earlier. Mm-hmm. Do you play Wordle? Do I play Wordle? My lunchroom is going to play off of yours. So That's great. So anyway, all, all that right. to say, I play Wordle. Thank yes, you. I, do. I just needed you to answer the question. Mm-hmm. Uh 
<laughs> Does Meredith let you talk to her like that? <laughs> well, no, but it's like to get to the point. So there's a lot of people out there that are that are playing Wordle. And it's this fun online game that is just kind of like a I mean, I described it the other day as just something to kind of get your brain up and going in the in the mornings. Uh, it was founded by software engineer Josh Wardle in October of 2021. And Wordle gives players six tries to guess a five-letter mystery word every day. So it's just it's one game each day. It only refreshes once every every 24 hours. And uh, according to this story from CNBC, the game has become a cultural phenomenon with people sharing their scores on social media and everywhere. Well, guess what? Uh, the success of this game, it has caught the attention of the New York Times, and they came a-calling and flashed some major cash in front of Mr. Wardle, and he said yes. Uh, so uh, they said, have— said, oh, my Wardle. <laughs> Uh, yes, there you go. <laughs> so anyway, so they came with a, a price apparently in the low millions, which, I mean, depending on your perspective, that's just not low. But that is incredible. That is truly in, incredible. And so good for Mr. Wardle for creating Wardle and, and giving people something fun and and actually good about, you know, social media. And uh, uh, woohoo. <laughs> I don't think I don't that's know. one of the I words. Know. I don't know that's how to get. I don't letters. know how to get out of. What out was of, the? I was trying to look it up. What did they offer him for it? They just said, said low, low millions. millions. Yeah. Low. Oh, okay, I thought it was a million, but I guess it's more. It's yeah, low over millions. Over a million. Gee whiz! And he just developed in October of twenty one. I need to read up on how this came to be a thing. <sighs> we could have developed this, Brent, and split the proceeds. Yes. Well, all of my proceeds would have gone to my church. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure they would have. <laughs> 10% at least. Well, yes, I do like Wordle, and we even have a Wordle Slack channel. We do, yes. The, there are several members of the team. There are a couple members of the team who don't want to have anything to do with it. Right. Uh, but well, there are several members of the team who, who, who do play Wordle on a daily basis. Yeah, well, and there are some members who give away their starting words, Chelsea, and allow others to cheat and have high scores. So— no more of that, Chelsea. I know she listens. I would think you so. would be a really good Wordle player. Like, well, listen, here's the reality. Given your editorial I don't use standing. words like you use words. But here's the thing. It makes you feel really smart, but the Wordle uses, by Mr. Wardle, uses words like reads and street. And these are not hard words. Well, if he used the word street, it wouldn't actually be a Wordle. Because it's six letters. <laughs> Reads and great and could. And so I'm just realizing it makes me feel good about myself, but they're really not that hard of words. So that brings me to my lunchroom. And our colleague Rachel turned me on to this, but it, in light of Wordle, if you're wanting more of a challenge, there is a game called Absurdle. And so Absurdle is like Wordle, except it's five letters, uh, but you get. I actually don't know how many tries you get. You could get unlimited. I'm not sure. You get to play unlimited games. It's not just one game a day, so you could get addicted to it. But they're harder. You rarely get your letters, like any green letters or whatever, in the first two tries. So these words are words like bunny and fuzzy. 
and things like that. And they're not that hard, but for some reason, it's just not what you would guess initially. Mm-hmm. You're usually left with letters that you're like, how in the world does this make a word? I don't know. Well, so as I was saying, uh, given your lofty title of editor here at the URLC, you've opted to play advanced Wordle. Yeah, because we use words like fuzzy and bunny all the time in our <laughs> articles. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, I'm not advanced, but it is it is fun. It takes usually takes about seven tries or so to get absurdal. And you should try it out. Just makes you feel smart, exercises that brain, helps those wrinkles in your brain to well, count me in. I'll, to, I'll play I'll start yeah. playing absurd. Yep. Yep. So it'll be linked. And maybe absurdal will also get a low million dollar offer. We're just smart here at the URLC, or at least we like to think we are. We think we are. Yeah. I don't I don't know if we're Yeah. Well, <laughs> we can still think we are. <laughs> Well, and hopefully we've made you a little smarter today when it comes to news and culture. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. And in addition to listening to the ERLC podcast, be sure to check out our other ERLC podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday and its host is Jason Thacker, who is one of the leading voices on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy decisions that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sogolik. Search for The Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.